I am your host, Mary Beth Smith. My guest today is the very funny, very intelligent, very polite, nice dude, Brian Duff. Uh, And he has wanted to do the podcast for a while, and I just neglected uh, to schedule him promptly about something that's really uh, near and dear to him that affects his everyday life really closely, and that is nutrition. Um... Brian has a, a pretty deep interest and is obviously very well informed on the topic uh, and listens to just, you know, hours of podcasts, has read tons of books on the topic. But honestly, uh, the impression that I get is that Brian's the kind of guy who just likes to be informed about a lot of things. So he's listened to a lot of informative podcasts and read a lot of informative books about a lot of topics. This just happened to, happens to be one Uh, that he especially tries to keep himself abreast of any changes, developments, different ideas, anything. It's it's pretty cool to hear him talk about even things that he doesn't even really agree with or things that have been relatively disproven as uh, nutrition ideals. He's still (laughs) incredibly well-informed, and he's obviously made his own nutrition choices uh, through some combination of a lot of the different uh, diets that people um, preach to be healthier, uh, i.e. paleo. Um, he talks about paleo a decent amount in here, but doesn't necessarily, he isn't necessarily a, uh, eat on by a paleo diet, but uh, close to it. Um, you'll hear it. Uh, a couple of things that we talked about after the podcast, one of which was... Um, there's this, uh, we had a conversation originally, um, when the Nerdlogs went to Seattle and Brian went with us, uh, when he, um, basically told me that he wanted this to be his topic, uh, about how there's a specific, um, uh, I think it's a protein, I'm not entirely sure, uh, I probably should have looked it up or asked Brian or something, but you know what? Fact-checking is for the birds. Go listen to Serial if you want something fact-checked. No, but seriously, listen to Serial. I can't. I can't stop. I'm almost caught up, and I just started listening to it yesterday. If you're not familiar, it's a podcast released by NPR that airs on NPR, similar to This American Life, but it's one true crime story. Uh, So if you were into Mel Evans' episode a few weeks ago, then you will definitely be into Serial, and I think that uh, Sarah Koenig, the host of Serial, her voice sounds so much like Mel Evans that it, like, disorients and distracts me while I'm listening to it. Like, every once in a while she'll say something, I'm just like, it just sounds so much like Mel. Um, so, go listen to that a- after, after this, because listen to this first, because you won't want to listen to it Afterwards, you'll just want to finish listening to all seven episodes of Serial. Um, it's so it's so good, guys. I it's just incredible storytelling. I can't wait to hear the rest of it. But it also is is this really interesting commentary on like American culture and our legal system, for Christ's sake. 
Um, anyway, I I'm I was intending to talk about that during the intro, but I wasn't intending to interrupt my discussion about Brian to uh, mention it. But you know, it's just one of those things. I can't. I, I paused the seventh episode to record this intro because I was like, I have to do this, even though all I wanted to do was 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 catch up all the way on cereal. Anyway, Brian was telling me that DHEA is a hormone that helps promote uh, brain growth, and um, the only uh, natural sources of it are um, eating other animals' brains. Um, or, uh, fish oil, it naturally occurs in fish oil, so he sees fish oil as a really important supplement, supplement, and, and one of the only ones he really, uh, takes. Um, but, yeah, there's a longer story than that about how when we used to eat an entire animal, um, as a, you know, as humans, we would eat the entire animal, including the brain, we were getting enough DHEA, and then as that curtailed we weren't getting enough anymore. Anyway, um, something we talked about, it kind of bookended the whole conversation because we talked about it originally when he told me he wanted nutrition to be his topic and we talked about it uh, after the podcast was over. We also talked about one of my favorite documentaries um, called Bigger, Stronger, Faster about steroid usage uh, and we both agreed that it's really interesting look at um, bodybuilding and sports and uh athleticism and everything in general so we'd both recommend that so just wanted to mention those two things because i saw them as interesting parts of our conversation that didn't quite make it on mic um but brian is, is such a great guy so silly but is so smart when you actually uh catch him in a in an intellectual conversation like this uh this was so informational most of it i felt like i just kind of spent uh, staring at him agape, <laughs> which I'm not really sure if that comes across in the recording, but, uh, rest assured, I, I was pretty fascinated. He, he just had so much to say, and, um, I was so interested. Uh, so, I think that you'll find this interesting as well. So, I'll let you enjoy it. A couple of quick plugs, um, this Friday... The Annoyance Christmas Pageant starts. It's an 8 o'clock show. It runs from this Friday until the Friday before Christmas. Um, it's uh, live versions of A Charlie Brown Christmas and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Two 30-minute Christmas special classics. Uh, but we're doing them as live-action shows. Uh, it's, it's an annual event for The Annoyance. This is the first time I've been in it. It's a total blast. Um, if you're not all the way in the holiday spirit yet, I totally get that. But, you know, maybe you want to check it out anyway. Or just, like, wait and let us get really good at it. I don't know. Come whenever you want. Just come. It'll be fun. I'm playing Sally in Charlie Brown Christmas and, uh, a, a couple of various roles in, um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. So, it's gonna be fun. Come check it out. That's my biggest plug. Uh, Squall has two more Tuesday night shows at 8 at the Playground Theater, and the Nerdalogs have uh, an event on Thursday at the Logan Square Theater called Alpha, where they'll doing, be doing a lot of playtesting. That's at 7 o'clock this Thursday. Uh, and then this Sunday, the 16th, we'll be hosting our monthly Your Stories event. That will be at the Public House Theater at 7 o'clock with our guests from 
the band I Fight Dragons and the Chicago-based sci-fi uh, futuristic podcast Our Fair City. Uh, and those guys are speaking on the topic of apocalypse. So if you're interested in coming to see some stories told based on the inspiration of apocalypse, then come check that out or listen to all your stories or that one when it comes out on the podcast website at the dot come the same place that hosts this go listen to those um but first listen to this and enjoy it and then go listen to cereal you have a lot of listening to do thanks sometimes i don't have an, a good enough frame of reference for people who like don't do comedy and every once in a while i'm reminded of that and i'm like oh yeah like yeah. This, I know. we speak a different language I was even listening to an interview, a Jay Moore interview that Pete Holmes did on his podcast today. It's like, it's pretty old. Oh, Pete Holmes had Jay Moore on? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's really good, but yeah. it's pretty old. Um, and Jay Moore is like a super interesting guy uh, from what I could tell from this interview. But he started saying, um, so Pete asked him like what the hardest time he laughed was, which is something Pete asked on his podcast mm-hmm. a lot. And he told a story of when he was on Mushrooms, and he was like, uh, I can't even think of, like, a non-drug-addled, like, hardest I've ever laughed, because I laughed so much, like, in my job. He, he was like, you and me, Pete, in the last hour have laughed more than some people laugh in a whole day. Right. And I was just like, wow, he's probably not wrong. And I, I feel like I take that for granted, like, uh... I, I'm glad that I hang out with a bunch of really funny people. <laughs> it's really true. Uh, yeah, I, I, I haven't thought about that. And there's so much value. Like, I'm not trying to shit on anyone who okay. isn't in comedy. I'm mm-hmm. saying there's... It's just like, I just take it for granted. Yeah, I know. I, <laughs> I, I do too, I think, as well. And certainly different things make them laugh. Yeah. There's a different level of, like, mm-hmm. comedy and bits and such. Yeah. Do you know people who, like, won't laugh and at something that's pretty funny and they're like, I don't get it. Like, they're just too hung up on stuff? <sighs> yeah. Uh, I, I feel like I don't know anyone like that who's a really good friend of mine. Right. You know what so I mean? So, these girls, like, I was trying to show them some Flight of the Concords videos. Oh, yeah. And they're understandably, like, a little obtuse. And I think the more you watch them... Yes. Um the more you like them. Sure. But I was trying to show them stuff and like, they were like very skeptical and they're like, I don't, what am I supposed to be, what yeah. am I supposed to be laughing at? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I guess it's not on the, as on the nose as like Lonely Island or whatever. Oh, sure. Yeah. But, um. It's a little more like wordsmithy. Yeah. And I think they, they, but they were like so unhappy because they were like, I'm not getting it. No. What am I? <laughs> I was like, I, I feel like the last time my parents were here, it was them and like a bunch of my friends were over, uh-huh. um, and for some, we just started watching like YouTube videos. Somebody put on, oh yeah, either Friends or like uh, I think we watched an episode of Friends and an, not a whole episode, but like a segment of Friends and a segment of some other show without the laugh track, mm-hmm. and like it was just really uncomfortable, and we could all all the all of like. Myself and my friends were just like, oh my god, this is so hard to watch. We are just like laughing. And we watched a couple other things after that. I don't think that was the only thing we watched. And my parents like weren't laughing that much. And at some point my dad was just like, uh, y'all, I think I'm missing something. 
felt bad, but it's just like, it's just a matter of taste. Yeah. It's just, and you know, they watch a lot of shows that I don't love, and I've told yeah. them that, so I don't know. It's interesting to think about a lot, I think. I read this thing in college uh, about taste, and it was this French dude, I think it's Bordeaux, and uh, have you read that? Uh, uh-huh. He has this, he calls it like habitus, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But uh, basically, it sounds it's, familiar. Yeah, it's really, it's like, it was a big deal in France. It's like, he's like a Malcolm Gladwell type in France. Oh, cool. But he basically makes the point that taste is entirely socialized. And so he makes the argument, like in France, like people's taste is pretty much aligns with like the quality of where they went to the school, mm-hmm. or, like college, and breaks it down. Mm-hmm. And in France, there's like very regimented kind of levels, and then he could show like, food and TV shows that people consumed in all these brackets. And yeah. And so you can assume that it would break down in like other ways in other countries and stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, in ways, but it is very like, I, I, I feel like anyone could have, could get the stuff, but it just not right away. I don't yeah. Know, it's like, yeah, that's so interesting. Point. I could totally see that the socialization of mm-hmm. taste. And like Bob Odenkirk would said, um, in an interview, the hardest thing that they did on Mr. Show show was they'd have to figure out if uh, uh, they, if something was funny to them. It's funny because oh, yeah, 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 yeah. like they knew if they got all of them laughing, it was a good, but it could be but too good. Does it translate? Yeah, yeah. and that's I've, very true. I think I've heard that about. Uh, first of all, I feel like sometimes I have to do that for the nerd logs mm-hmm. and not necessarily uh, for like. Is it too good so that only comedy people get it? But more like, is it too inside yeah. so that only nerdy people get it? Yeah. So I feel like I am like on the lower end of the spectrum as far as like nerd culture knowledge goes. Yeah. So I feel like sometimes there have been a couple of sketches where I've had to be like, we have to contextualize this more because I don't understand it fully. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I was going to say was something about Bob Odenkirk. You were saying in the writing room was it funny to just them or everyone i can't remember uh nope i lost it it was something about making things i don't remember okay it doesn't matter it's fine i'm sure it wouldn't have been that big a deal no (laughs) but it's true it's yeah it was uh he also said recently he started talking about how, like, he thinks comedy is changing in a big way. Did you read that? Yeah, article? how he said to get out of sketch comedy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I mean, it certainly is. There are more sketch shows on TV than there ever have been. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what that means. I don't either. Um, and I think about some of the people who are on set sketch shows, and it's like, you think about guys like Key and Peele, and it's like, yeah, those guys are amazing. They should have a sketch show. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's interesting. Um, anywho, I wish I could remember the other thing I was going to comment on. Making themselves laugh. Maybe making themselves laugh. Trying to... It, it doesn't matter. Okay. It's not important. I doubt that it's important. I don't remember what Anyway, uh, my yesterday is burned up. Smooth operator. Uh-huh. Uh, socializing your tastes. Nope. It's just not going to come to me and I'm going to have to get past it. This okay. is a real hiccup. I don't usually hiccup like this. No, it's fine, dude. <laughs> you fine. already caught me off guard, Duff. I get the gist. Um, my guest today is Brian Duff. He's going to talk to me about his love of and knowledge of nutrition. Yeah? Yeah. 
What do you think your the origin of this was in your life? Um, both sides of my family really love to eat and like to eat a lot and always have eaten. And mm-hmm. so I kind of grew up with a lot of food and my friends liked coming over because we had a lot of food at my house. Oh, really? Yeah. And my dad's uh, family is from Kentucky and my mom's family is from Pennsylvania. My dad like has this weird, not weird, but it has a like um, very specific romanticization of, of farming and farms. Cool. So we kind of, um, he, we don't, like my parents don't farm for a living, but right. we have like horses and stuff and we grew really? up. Really? Yeah, yeah. And we grew a lot of our own food. Um, because he just where did you grow up? I uh, downstate Illinois. Okay, I yeah. thought you were from Illinois. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so um, you had a lot of land. Yeah, we had a decent amount of land. We would, uh, me and my friends would do some dumbass stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> yeah, it was so like, and we just and uh, I grew up in a very like kind of farming area too, so it was always something people talked about or food at least, mm-hmm. um, and. I think independently I started getting more of a specific and like academic interest in nutrition when I left and for college because I think I, a lot of people would always be like people who didn't really know else to make conversation with me or what you know at my parents house would be like oh you're gonna miss all this great food when you're off at school or or like the general narrative of you're gonna go off to school and gain all that weight oh you know? yeah sure sure um so I just kind of got interested in that interesting from those ways I do feel like uh, that transition from living at home to living at a school and then, uh, after that transitioning from living at school to living on your own were both big, like food changes in my life. Cause I feel like I always kind of like you said, like there was always a decent amount of food around my house growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, we, my mom was great about making really like balanced dinners like she would have like a protein a carb and a vegetable she tried to do that with every dinner and i always i took it for granted for a while and then i got to my teens and would kind of like talk to my other friends about what dinners around their house were like and i was like oh wow yeah oh it's great (laughs) and then i got to college and ate way too much in the dining hall and then i got to chicago and had no idea how to like cook for myself or buy groceries for myself <laughs> yeah i uh yeah i also eat a lot too um <laughs> and so that was also i like eating so mm-hmm. i wanted to keep eating mm-hmm. and not feel bad about it you did know? you so i do understand that <laughs> and i feel like that's where a lot of people uh like lose sight of eating you know what i mean i feel like they lose sight of like oh i enjoy doing this so I'm just going to fucking do it all the oh, time yeah. and eat the worst shit. Uh, what was your like transition into being really into nutrition versus like living in a house where you probably had meals provided for you more often than not? Well, uh, um, I guess I can think of a couple things. So they all require, like, I guess this one requires a bit of context. So okay. in high school, there was this girl who was a couple years older than us and her parents had some cabin and it sounds so cool but it was a dumbass cabin. <laughs> it was like in a, some park in a really crummy town and uh-huh. it was like surrounded by other cabins and it didn't really matter it was just a place that they, you could go because she had keys and people would drink mm-hmm. and just get really and just like high school kids drinking uh-huh. and it was stupid and it was like the dumbest thing ever and so of course people would love to do that and one night i was of course uh 
being at the designated driver as like a 17 year old or whatever uh -huh. in a dumb cabin like just smaller than your apartment surrounded by other cabins <laughs> and like not even in the woods just like in a campground it's so so but you, but you thought it was like super yeah. cool well, I didn't think it was super cool. Other but people did. Her parents had uh, Dr. <laughs> Dean Ornish's book, um, who was like this... You've probably seen a picture of him. He's got like a big like caterpillar mustache. And he wrote this book in the 80s. I bet I have too, yeah. And he kind of started... Dean Ornish? Is that yeah, I'm pretty sure that's his name. He basically started the whole like fat is bad movement. Oh. And he's the reason why like all sorts of foods in the grocery store will say low fat. Interesting. And so I read his book, and it was the only thing I'd read in, co in high school. And like we talked about this in high school, my favorite, I had two favorite teachers, and one of my favorite teachers was, was the chemistry teacher, so I was really into oh, yeah. chemistry and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I had like a bit of an appreciation of a lot of what he was talking about, like in a nerdy sense. So I, that was the first book I read. Did you ever do or take any like nutrition courses or, cause I remember I've taken a chem class that oh, had yeah. a section about like food chemistry in it. Interesting. I took, when I got to college, I thought I might want to be a science major. And of course, if you think you might be a science major, you're not going to You're gonna probably not, not going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> to say uh, so I got weeded. That's very true. I re which was actually a really important life lesson because I looked around and I was like, okay, I can't keep up with these kids. I'm going to find something that no one could keep up with me in terms of like waking up early and yeah. studying and working hard and stuff. But, That's great. Yeah. So it was important, but I was like, whoa, geez, dudes. <laughs> You guys are super suits. into this physics stuff. Huh? Yeah, I was like, "Wow, you guys are you guys are laying." So I took generalist. I took a gen. And you went to U of I. Uh, I went to the U of C up here. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So I took a generalist uh, uh, chemistry. I took cellular and molecular biology, and then I had to finish things out. And I took ecology and evolution, and that actually is more in line with my thinking. Cool, yeah. So I would think so. Yeah, and then, so I didn't really have a whole lot of formal training. I also had, like, um, just, like, a ton of food growing up, and I, uh, yeah, I, I also... I kind of took you off track from talking about your no, no, no. favorite teacher. But I had this point where I, I was, it was a really small town, and everyone played football, and I was really bad, but I realized <laughs> that I just had to gain a bunch of weight, you know? Wow. So I would just eat all the time, and... So even when you, when you're, like, an adolescent... You're trying to put on. I was putting out, yeah, and I was like 17 or 18, and that okay. was like, it was just brutal, uh, and that wasn't a lot of fun, and I didn't really enjoy eating that much and stuff. Yeah. And so talking like Michael Phelps type stuff, where you're trying to eat like five or six meals a day and all yeah. that stuff. Uh, yeah, I was just I was pretty constant, and I didn't Oof. know what I was doing because I was a kid, and you were just in your mind eating more food so that you would weigh more and nothing else in the equation right i mean i would i would lift weights allegedly and but my, I'm, as long as my football coaches would be like yeah it looks good uh, and i was like great guys thanks i hate this gotcha so i i was so it was really important to me when i left um high school to understand stuff interesting I so i was really in the um low fat dean ornish's camp which okay. he basically makes this point of like the reason we have all these heart problems is because of saturated fat and it clogs mm -hmm. your heart and it's mm -hmm. a very similar narrative that most people have heard and so for a long time I which was is like, also very chemistry type yes saturated versus unsaturated yeah, yeah. fats i remember learning about that in chemistry as well yeah so uh, for a long time i just kind of for a couple years followed because i i guess i guess people are like don't always like to use numbers but mm -hmm. when i was i was like 
I don't know, like 210, I weighed like 210 when I was done with this football bull crap. And you were like six... Six feet tall. Ish. Yeah, and it wasn't, um, it wasn't like awful, but it was not like the most fun. And <laughs> by the time I like started to, um, I had lost, like, I think I was down, like halfway through college, I was down to like 165. Wow. And I was, I felt, I felt even worse, actually. Really? Yeah, I felt awful. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. Were you, were you, because you were consciously trying to lose weight or just consciously trying not to eat a high fat diet? Yeah, I was consciously trying not to eat a high fat diet. Interesting. Yeah. And it was making you lose a bunch of weight, but you didn't feel good. Yeah, I didn't feel good. I'm, I think I'm naturally like a pretty skinny dude mm -hmm. and, um, I know la ladies think, oh, that's so awesome. And it's like, it's fine, but it's, it's actually funny cause, um, this is a bigger kind of. Uh, not to make like a manorexia argument because obviously the pressures the women face I could never relate to and never sure. begin to quantify right but I we was, thank you sure. for throwing sure. that out there but I understand that so case. I was talking to this like, I appreciate a it. friend's seven-year-old uh, my, uh, my girlfriend's seven-year-old niece who was like I was like oh are there any boys you like and um, she was like oh there's this one or no I was like does they and she's like no but there's this one who likes me and I said, oh, well, do you like him? And she said, I guess, but he doesn't have any muscles. And I was like, oh. Wow. And Interesting. Could you, could you imagine if you asked... As a, a seven-year-old. Right. And if you asked a seven-year-old boy, like, oh, do you like that girl? He's like... And the boy was like, I guess, but she's kind of fat. She's fat. Yeah. You'd be like, eeeh. Right. And it... Not that, you know, men don't face similar things and women. Right, do. But right. it's like, there's two sides of that. There are, sure. And I know, I've had guys skinny male friends before who get tired of how much people comment on the fact that they need to eat more mm -hmm. <laughs> like so it's not necessarily even just the uh like skinny versus muscular argument yeah. but i feel like there's also like weird body pressure where just being a skinny person is concerned yeah. a naturally skinny person right. like you said it is and also i think because Food advertising is all over the place. Yeah. And food is something we do every day. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you can't help but internalize all these conflicting signals. And, and we were even talking about earlier uh, that, like, you enjoy eating. Yeah, But you have to separate that at some point. From so I wasn't eating. I was, like, really unhappy all the time. And it, was, <laughs> it was the worst. <laughs> but I, I really, um, yeah, so I really, anyway, um... Yeah, so that's kind of where I started. That was like my original thinking. And it's cool. kind of funny because I think that uh, went in line with a lot of like America's line of thought. I think, Interesting. So I think I'm actually a very... So you kind of followed it as it was progressing. You yeah, think? I'm a little... I think my general narrative is a little typical or like the way I tend to look at it. Is okay. that I started off very like low fat. And, mm -hmm. um, it wasn't great. And I eventually um, I got... In, I, became, I was an RA in college, and I mm -hmm. got a meal plan. Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so that helped the last couple of years to add some, like, to get back to, like, I felt healthier a little bit. And then, um, yeah, then I graduated college, like you said, and went under, like, another transition. And that's actually where I started, uh, I basically fell into, uh, I was a vegan for a year. Interesting. Um, yeah, which was really interesting. What do you consider yourself now? You're... I'm not a vegan. I think that the clo the closest thing I follow would be kind of the paleo route. Okay. But I, I have a bunch of reservations with them. 
Cool. And, and I'm sure that's something we'll sure. get into. But yeah. you're a vegan for a, year, a year or so. Yeah. And that was okay at first. And I think the reason it was great at first for me is because I really started paying attention to food quality. Yeah, cool. And, uh, you know, where it came from. Because uh-huh. before I would, you know, I wouldn't really worry about it as much. And like, you know, I was a McFlurry daddy. Like, I was, <laughs> like occasionally. Um, but I got, sure. it, I got into that and uh, it took me a while to... A McFlurry daddy. And I, I read a bunch of stuff around that time that made me think that way. And it actually came from a, like, um... A lot of people who were in um, like sports physiology or sports mm-hmm. exercise who mm-hmm. were being vegans around then who uh, like were pushing for it. Mm-hmm. And there was like a lot of literature that came out around like I guess 2009, 2008. Uh, like uh, The Omnivore's Dilemma, which the basic thesis of that book is that like if you're a carnivore, you have very short intestines because you eat raw like other animals and you okay. need to get rid of them quickly before they begin to oh, rot sure, sure, sure. and if you're a herbivore you have very long intestines because you're eating plants because it, takes, it takes way longer to break down and an omnivore you have a, intestines that are in between so you need to make sure that you're not eating so much uh, like animal either. protein or either one of the other basically sure. um, and basically made the point that we we're all eating too much like um, too much of animal protein meats. And, yeah meats basically mm-hmm. and that they were causing problems in our guts mm-hmm. and then the big thing that came out around then was the china study uh i forget the name of the guy who did that and it's actually a good thing i did because he's turned out to be a huge a-hole really i think i was telling someone about this but so he's a guy who he's at cornell and i'm pretty sure he's still at cornell so he actually works with the world world health organization advocating a plant-based diet in the developing world as a way of lifting the third world oh, out of poverty. Interesting. It is interesting, but he has a very vested interest in a lot of what he's produced. So really? he, had this book, he had the book, The China Study, and I, I think it ended up, they found out that he only used like 32 data points or something like, like a high, like, and I, maybe it's, maybe it was like 16 even. Wow. So he had, the, he looked at China and this was around the Olympics when they came out and he's like, Hey, China okay. used to be like, you know. So uh, that was, oh wait. Yeah. Right. So the China study said that, um, like, it basically talked about the rise and fall of China and how in the 1700s a third of all the wealth in the world was in China and mm-hmm. we've blah 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 it's since become bankrupt. And now the, they used to be very healthy mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons, and now they're not. And he said that the reason is is because of this they've adopted a very Western diet. And he points huh. to like the spread of McDonald's and stuff. Right. Sure. So he makes the point that they're all eating too much. They used to eat a very rice based plant-based mm-hmm. diet and now mm-hmm. they've begun to eat a bunch of animals and a lot of dairy mm-hmm. and that's ruined their digestion and their health and their heart problems and it goes in, along with the Dean Ornish um, camp so okay. uh, a few I guess like two years ago there's this woman Denise Menager who's just a blogger who was a raw foods vegan and she was having a lot of health problems and, and raw foods is literally you don't cook anything yeah you don't eat. cook anything so she was um, one level above of what like the China study would have even recommended to really? only do plants. Like she wasn't even cooking her plants. Like so okay. she was even like an A plus. Okay, student. gotcha, gotcha. So she like looked at his data and said that hey, uh, you're actually your data is not that um, it's not suggesting what you think it is, and it's you don't actually even have that many observation points to make these claims. Interesting. She was just like a blogger, and he did the worst thing he could ever do is he publicly <gasps> responded that there's no way a woman could have come up with this no fucking way and said that she must be working for hormel or 
some other tor- type of meat Shut company. Up. Yeah, yeah. And so she, uh, I have heard her on a few podcasts and read a. I What's read her a name blog. Again? Denise? Denise Manager. Um, she seems like a very nice lady, and I think that <laughs> that was like the worst thing because it made her like very internet famous. Uh, wow. She just kind of shrugged, and people went and read. And she, sure enough, like I think showed that you know his data wasn't really that good. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and so she didn't. He didn't believe that she was a real person. Even she, he, he oh. thought she was like some sort of front. It, that it was literally like a yeah. conspiracy type thing. Someone yeah. posing as a lowly raw foods vegan blogger. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so I was, which I, makes him look kind of even like more questionable i know it really does and uh around the same time that i went um uh into veganism there were a lot of athletes and a lot of like people who were interested in sports performance who were doing the same like tony Mm -hmm. gonzalez oh okay yeah yeah from your uh, at the time of your atlanta falcons like he made Mm -hmm. a switch he eventually kind of backed off a little bit as well Mm -hmm. um ran into same a bunch of the he retired like last year two years ago yeah but he made the switch i think right when he went to atlanta um, Interesting. And he kind of, uh, like I said, faded out a little bit from it because he ran into a wall. Because I found that, like, in order to get enough calories, um, uh-huh. I was eating a lot of, like, grains and processed type of foods that were really, felt like I was slowing me down. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. But it was helpful because I'd never really tried to consume as many fruits and vegetables before. And that, I think, was, you know, something healthier yeah it was healthier um so i think i hit the breaking point of being a vegan one morning i was staying at my uh ex uh girlfriend's studio apartment and Mm -hmm. i was going to work one morning and i just like woke up and i was like i forget what but i was really hungry and i just went like went around the corner she lived by this little bodega that we called sketch mark so sketchy (laughs) it smelled like an electrical fire and uh, i like was walking by it on the way the train and went in and grabbed eggs and like went back and she was like still sleeping and i just cooked a bunch of eggs and she's like what are you doing i was like i couldn't do it anymore i don't know what's wrong with me weird i just had some sort of like weird i mean wow is that like a body thing like your body do you think it was a subconscious like i need this animal protein or do you think it was more just mental i think it was um i needed some sort of something i don't know if it was protein because i was doing a pretty good job of of monitoring that Mm -hmm. it just i needed something easier yeah easy i think i craved um just like a that source of i don't know fat and yeah hot warm food that wasn't yeah i don't know because what would you eat the most of did you eat a lot of like tofu or? No, I quickly figured out that made me feel horrible. Really? And so I ate a lot of lentils and rice and okay. a lot of like oatmeal. And then um, when so it I. So really was just a ton of grains? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of rice and beans, a lot of like fruits and vegetables. And then uh, at first I had a hard time. Um, uh, I was, I just started, after a while I just started like pouring olive oil and everything. And oh, that was awesome. yeah. And then I, um... <laughs> that was awesome. Trader Joe's used to make these uh, cocoa almonds that they don't oh, make anymore. Oh, yeah. The ones that had the powder on them? I have some. Uh, not from Trader Joe's, okay. but they're Blue Diamond brand. Oh, yeah. Cocoa almonds. Oh, daddy. They're so... They're like candy. I know. They're so good. So I would I would chug those. Uh, Every more. time Stephanie, my roommate's mm-hmm. um, parents come to visit, they usually... Uh, 
drive instead no. of fly. Um, so she'll always get them to bring us like goodies, oh. and that's something that we always get them to bring us like a big Sam's Club thing of oh, those yeah. cocoa almonds, because they're not cheap, but they're so good. Yeah, they're really good. <laughs> um, but anyway, oh, a lot yeah. of cocoa almonds. I ate a lot of those, uh, and it was totally fine um, for for a while. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's always felt like um, a little. Uh, a little forced and I, I got into it too because I really like animals like mm-hmm. a lot of people really like animals and I also was beginning to learn about the social costs behind a lot of the agriculture we do for our livestock interesting and it turned me off of eating you know conventional conventional sources of meats and stuff what kinds of things did you like were you reading or watching because I've seen like I've seen food Inc and I've seen yeah. a couple of other like um, food related documentaries on Netflix that I think are really amazing and I just feel like the disconnect this is something else that I wanted to talk to you about and I don't know if it oh, takes yeah. it off topic but no. I feel like um, and this is something that they talk about a lot in I think it is Food Inc that like um, the way that all of those like food structures are set up it makes it difficult for like lower income people and families to like eat better oh yeah because uh, they can go to mcdonald's and pay like five dollars for five cheeseburgers and feed their whole family as yeah. opposed to like buying all the ingredients to make right. hamburgers um yeah well um i would love to yeah i can definitely touch base on that because that was my experience as well um well so i've had a few things that allowed me to really think about animals and mm-hmm. like uh uh i don't know more so I definitely sympathize with vegetarians and vegans who do, mm-hmm. who choose to live that way for the psychic benefits, because mm-hmm. it's definitely a way of life that you can gain a lot of, I think, um, even if you're maybe at the detriment of your own physical health slightly, I think if you produce enough mental health, like, you know, yeah. from it, and you, you, if you derive enough, I don't know, utility, yeah. I think it can be a valid way of life. Huh. I would say... That's really interesting. Yeah. Denise Manager, actually, her blog has a great link. Um, if you if you're going to be a vegetarian or vegan, this is what you need to supplement with. Interesting. Like, she has it really how to prepare your grains, which I wasn't really doing well. Interesting. And what to supplement with, and uh, she has it really good, uh, really good advice. And if um, yeah, so uh, I think one of the first things that happened was that towards the end of college, I went to the Wisconsin State Fair. Oh I remember my gosh. this really vividly. <laughs> I went to the Wisconsin State Fair and I got lost. And I just was like, they'll find me, my, the people I was with. So uh-huh. I sat down, and I sat down next to this pig. And my friend Levi, his dad raised pigs down the road. And so like, I was, was kind of around pigs. And my, you know, my dad's family raised pigs and stuff. But mm-hmm. I sat down, and I spent like an hour with this pig. And I was uh, just like, it lo- I remember it looked at me, and I was like, wow, it's looking at me like my dogs look at me. Aww. And I, had, Aww. I was just hanging out with it. And then towards the end, some big redneck came up and was like yeah let's go make a lot of good bacon oh no and it like it, enough time had passed where i felt like i had a relationship with this right. animal and now i since then i have not had i don't eat any pigs since then yeah oh my like gosh that's crazy 2008 so um so it kind of started then and it always um yeah it was always kind of festering so the omnivore omnivores dilemma really was one of the other reasons why mm-hmm. i started thinking about it uh, Food Inc. was more recent, but I definitely relate to it. Actually, even more recent, Rolling Stone did a great uh, a piece, I think, last summer on it. 
on animal cruelty that avoided a lot of like sensationalism. That, Interesting. Um, was really good. And, uh, yeah, there was this one book, uh, there's this Japanese, I don't remember this guy's name. There's this Japanese doctor who believes the reason we age is because we lose digestive enzymes in our intestines. Huh. And his book was another big reason. The, oh, so that we're not like getting the right nutrients of yeah. what we take into our bodies. So the reason someone who smokes looks older or someone who drinks a lot looks older is because those smoking and alcohol have those. killed your intestines. And a lot of meat would kill your intestines and stuff as well. Mm -hmm. uh, his book, you know, which went along with the omnivore's dilemma and a lot of stuff. So I was kind of thinking about it anyway. Um, and then uh, there was this... Um, uh, there's this blogger, uh, Jason Frugia. Don't look him up because he's a total Jersey bro. But he, <laughs> but he's like I a bro, Jersey bro type dude. And he's made the switch because of a lot of other people uh, uh, in that industry kind of had. And, it, uh -huh. you know, so uh, around the time it was like, you know, it was this, it was just something that, you know, I decided to try. And, uh -huh. Yeah. And I learned a lot and there's still a lot of principles I still apply from it, you know. Um, anyway. Yeah. Oh, this is great. Yeah, uh, so, and Denise Manager, speaking of the McDonald's piece, she what she basically pointed out about the China study is it wasn't just uh, the fact that these people in China were eating more meat. It was they were also eating, eating more, more processed food. So it wasn't just the hamburger patties from McDonald's. It was actually the wheat the buns. buns. Um, and when they were typically not a population that has any kind of tolerance towards gluten. Um, and more specifically, uh, he was looking at parts of China that have pretty much no lactose tolerance at all. So oh, wow. that's a big problem. Yeah. Right? Just biologically or societally or a little bit of both. So both. So the reason, so what happened with the reason we are able to process lactose or dairy, uh, if you, so about 10,000 years ago, we have this little switch, a little genome in our body uh -huh. that just basically makes us, um, that turns on lactose intolerance. Okay. That would happen when we were about four. And that's when oh. we would, our mothers would stop breastfeeding us. Something happened in, uh, they believe, northern European um, type societies where that just stopped getting switched off. Weird. Um, and so it's unclear whether women just got fed up of feeding their, like breastfeeding their kids and just started taking milk Using from other animals. Um, or if it was the other way around where we started finding that we could, we could domesticate anyway. and then take you know, take milk from these animals. Oh, and then we're like, oh, we have this already. Yeah. We can give it to kids instead of breastfeeding. Right. Gotcha. Interesting. So it was a product of a lot of sense of agriculture. That's so cool. But it also produced agriculture. So a lot of it comes down to if your family history, if you can... It produced agriculture? Like the... Well, it became... It's around the time when agriculture started. And it's, oh. we started being more like, you know, growing foods and stuff. So... Uh -huh. uh, Stop hunting and gathering. A little bit, yeah. So, um, we've really only domesticated six animals when you think about it. And really? Yeah. Cows? Cows, uh, sheep, goats, chickens. Um, pigs? Yeah. Well, pigs and horses. Okay. Huh. Um, this is an argument people make. And we don't eat horses. Well, right. we don't, but other countries do. Right. Uh, and. Huh. The, yeah, I mean, so it is interesting. Uh, and that's a whole other argument about about that is that uh, part of the reason that people are having problems with digesting meat isn't just because we're eating too much of it, which we are, but it's also the type of meats we're eating. And uh -huh. this is another point too. Like, like, okay, you know, you know, a dog, like what's the wild version of a dog? 
Uh, like wolf, coyote. Yeah, okay. So you know cows. Hyena. Right, great. What's the wild version of a cow? Uh, buffalo. No, we actually killed the last wild cow in Europe in 1600. Like, there are no wild cows. <laughs> so we basically have got these animals that are, have no genetic diversity whatsoever. Oh, that we're weird. Consuming. And it's best to eat as many wild foods as possible. So they did the apple a day to keep the doctor away study, like, I think two years ago. And the people actually got uh, sicker. And the reason they say is because they used a yellow delicious apple in the, Which in the sample. Which is a very, like... Right. Basically, if you've had one yellow delicious apple, you've had all of them because they've been, gen they've been bred to have the same genetic profile. Weird. Whereas if you think about berries, every single individual berry has a different like different genetic Makeup. profile. So if you can consume as much like variation as possible, the better. Huh. So anyway, if you go back to that, part of the problems with the food we're eating is that it's become, you know, over... We're making it. Yeah. From start to finish. Not just like planting seeds we find. Right. We're planting seeds that are from apple trees that have <laughs> been planted for over the course yeah. of Yeah, and it's, if you've seen time. King Corn, they make a very similar. Oh, I haven't, but I'm like familiar with the concept. Yeah, so that corn, the Native Americans, what they used to consume. Man, corn is like probably one of the biggest things that's fucking all this up, right? Well, because it used to be more of a protein and now it's more of a sugar because it's a sweetener that uh -huh. we've now bred to become sweeter. Uh-huh. Um, and we've taken it away from... You can still get some sort of like wild variations of corn like for popcorn and stuff, but it's not as good for meal or sweeteners as what we, you know, we grow too much of. Like we grow so much soy and corn we get rid of it. At the end that's of the right. So I, um... Uh, my boss... Uh, works with a or like has had this like project basically since he worked at um, Amico okay. that he so he was a chemist at Amico oh yeah and he took a small like part of their environmental uh, like department that is this project that converts cellulosic um, like matter into sugars to be converted into alcohols right. to put into biofuel so cellulosic alcohols are actually becoming a lot more popular in fuel and a lot of and a lot of what I've like read about it and garnered from him about it is that it took a really really long time for that process to happen and become popularized because all of the most of the ethanol is made out of corn most yeah. of what we use for biofuel is made out of corn but like cellulosic matter would be things like Corn husks, yeah. uh, sawdust, like all this stuff that we already have tons of and wouldn't have to continue to grow. And and that process of converting corns is actually a lot less efficient than using cellulosic alcohol would be. So it's like, not only is that affecting the food, it's also affecting this other huge oh, yeah. industry in our country. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a problem. And a lot of the... And this is another whole topic, but a lot of people think the whole anti-gluten thing's overblown, and rightfully so. It's yeah, I was going to ask you to kind of talk about that too. So, so I I'm definitely glad you brought it back up. yeah, definitely. If your family, like, if you're from a popular, so there's this other doctor, James McDougall, who falls in the same line of, of the Cornell uh, China study guy. He works with the United Nations. The same line. Uh, he fo he follows the same party line. So oh, okay, he's like. The biggest a-hole in the so world. So he agrees with the yeah. China study. He doesn't just agree with the China study. He will go on these like wild podcasts or paleo podcasts or whatever podcasts and just like make fun of people and like Fuck. he's like a, he's a he is a grade A a-hole. Like 
So his experience was that he worked in Hawaii as a resident uh, physician after he got his, uh, his uh, medical degree from Michigan State, I think. He worked in Hawaii, and he was seeing all these people come over from Vietnam or other countries in Asia, and they were adopting the American lifestyle and the American mm-hmm. diet, and they were having all these health problems. He was treating them firsthand. Mm-hmm. And he was saying they should go back. We should all be eating a very um, rice-based, plant-based diet, you mm-hmm. know. So he accuses the paleo people. And again, I would fall more in, like, I think the wild diet than the paleo diet people. But uh, he accuses the paleo people of, like, you know... I'm sorry, excited to talk to you about that, Yeah, of of distorting of history, of choosing selective examples, like, selecting examples that fit their narrative. Okay. And he is the most... Like, I I can't stand this guy. He is the most guilty of it. He he does that, Yeah, so he chooses very specific populations. So he chooses, like, very small sects of Vietnamese people... Who's subsisted on you know types of of, of rice and mm-hmm. wheat that don't you know don't, aren't grown Probably throughout the world? Else. Yeah, and he points to them and says, "Oh, we should all be eating like them." It's like, no, those folks who've been living there for ten thousand years, uh, you should eat like that. Right. He, he's another. A lot of people who are in the plant based camp who are vegans really love to over romanticize the indigenous South American people. Interesting. And it goes back to like I remember reading a lot of Durkheim in college. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there was like in the nineteen hundreds, everyone in France was just over romanticizing, like, oh the Native Americans, too bad we destroyed them. Oh interesting. As, as like this weird academic exercise. And the paleo people and the vegan people are basically like I can't believe I'm go- I'm going down this rabbit hole, so F mm, everybody. No, I love it. Uh, like if you remember in college, if you had to read Hobbes and Rousseau and they and, and Locke, and they'd all be arguing over what the state of nature was and what man would be, like the philosophical argument of like how would man really be uh, like interacting with nature if there was no society? Like what is civil, what is a civilized man? Or right, whatever. right. Like, it's totally bullcrap. So James <laughs> James McDougall is like guilty of trying to recreate this argument all the time by choosing these very specific examples of indigenous people that don't actually apply because. Unfortunately, like how many people do you know in the West are actually descended from Mayans or Aztecs or Incas? Oh yeah, right. And he a points really to them. A small fraction. It has to be. Yeah, exactly. He points to them, and he's like, and he'll make arguments like, you know, the Incans would eat, would the Incan warriors would load up on quinoa before battle and pray to the sun god and vanquish all of their their enemies. And it's like, dude, first off, like. <laughs> How, that doesn't help anyone. But the fact that he thinks that like everyone should be eating quinoa all the time, it's like, no, it's actually a pretty, it can be pretty hard to digest. It's a complex protein. Yeah. It's, yeah. And he's like, you know, and, and if they didn't have quinoa, then the warriors would have their women prepare lentils and would, you know, it's oh just like, God. dude, great. Like those are fine. Again, those are okay foods, but you can't make the argument that all human beings should be should eating these things. Diet, yeah. And he has the point like, well, you have a dog, there's dog food. Like, why isn't there human food? Like, we just have a base set of foods that humans should be eating. And it's like, yeah, I think there are. But uh, the fact that you think we should over-rely on these grains that are very localized to select parts of the, you know, to the world Mm -hmm. doesn't... And part of the reasons those societies were able to grow is because they basically, I think, were able to select people who could handle those foods and could grow, like, a civilization around those foods. So it's like... Interesting. It's just a completely different... Right. The fundamental point I want to make is that human beings are hard to kill. Like, if you ever see someone, <laughs> if you ever see someone who's, like, 600 pounds who can barely get on a city bus and, like, God bless them, drinking, like, a huge Slurpee and, like, smoking when they get off the bus and then, like, drinking something. Yeah. Like, human beings are hard to kill. Yeah, like, yeah. It takes that a person lot to kill us. still doing okay for right. now. Well, like, it, we can eat anything and we can live off of stuff for a while. So, yeah. the, don't make these arguments that they're, I don't know. Yeah. I hate those. 
Yeah. So James McDougall falls in that line so as well of, of these a-holes who argue about stuff. And uh, that will never really be able to, to help anyone. To land on anything. So I understand that... Uh, and he, but they at least come from this point that, oh, if we all eat lentils and rice and soy, like, those foods are actually pretty cheap, and it uh -huh. could help us, you know, it actually could be healthier to eat that way. Uh -huh. And uh, to a certain extent, Which I understand what he's saying. kind of goes back to, like, what I brought up about right. trying to live healthier, but... Right, and I understand completely, because, you know, I have student loans and stuff. Um, yeah, I, I was actually, I'm actually interested to talk to you about, like, how you feel, like, nutrition factors into, like, your budget. Well, I think that a few things help. I'm but I feel like that's a little oh, no, no. off topic of what you were talking about. Well, you kind of reached uh, closure on the paleo thing, at least for now. Well, I've uh, on the plant-based folks. I think oh, right, right, right. Is right, that they right. typically make arguments based off of very small populations. Okay. And even Incas and Mayans and Aztecs were still fishing. And we're still like eating other... Sure, 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 sure. Eating other birds and stuff. So okay. there's never been a society that's been completely plant-based. Okay. And Interesting. That's something to think about. We're omnivores. Yeah. Like, that's just, unfortunately, you know. Uh-huh. Um, if you want to be vegan, and there's nothing wrong with that, but you have to kind of be willing to embrace, like, modernity and a lot of scientific... Um, yeah. Like, you know, pop some pills and stuff and sure. get it done. Um, well, I am pretty cheap overall, and so I don't spend money on a lot of other things other than food. Gotcha. Uh, so that helps. But I also kind of view it as um, you can't afford not to uh, prioritize Treat. food. Because it's preventative. And we, you know, heart surgeries are like $200,000, you know? Oh, and interesting. A, you kind of have to just do Forks it. over knives. Yeah. Have you seen that? Um, no. I, I thought it was pretty good. Okay. Yeah. It's, or, oh, no. Uh, no, I wasn't just using the expression. It's a uh, name of a, another documentary that I've watched on Netflix okay. that's all about that idea, of a, about like, prioritizing and pre pre prevent using food as a preventative medicine basically yeah. um so the idea of eating uh i think they're they're base i think they're mostly encouraging just what you're saying a lower um lower amounts of animal proteins but not yeah. necessarily cutting out entirely but yeah diet over going under the knife sure. surgery yeah uh uh, Southern Baptist would say, take your spankings early. Spend a little, <laughs> spend a little now, not spend later. Uh -huh. So uh, there's that. But there's also, I don't think we really understand how easy it can be. So obviously, yes, it's a little That's more expensive. That's one of the reasons why I wanted right. to ask you about it, because I cool. had a feeling that's what you would say. So it's, obviously, it's a little more expensive. You see that organic foods have a higher price tag. Mm -hmm. But I can show that it's a little bit worth it. So I, going off of, you should basically... I believe, eat how your ancestors ate. And I had all these relatives in Kentucky and Western Pennsylvania who were all from Scotland who, like, somehow never had braces and never, like, and that's another thing I, uh, another book I read recently, which was awesome. But, um, you know, they lived to be a hundred. About oh, so orthodontistry? This is a bit of a side. But so there's this guy, there's this book called Pottinger's Prophecy, and there's this, there's this, uh, the scientist Pottinger who had three groups of cats <laughs> and you could never do this. I don't think anymore, but he basically fed one group of cats like uh, fish and birds and what cats would eat in the wild. And okay. he fed one group, a little bit of fish and birds and, and like dry cat food. And then he fed another group of cats, like the cheapest dried cat food. He okay. Could. Within three generations, the group that had the highly processed food, the group of cats, they had um, smaller mouths because they didn't need to eat as much. 
and they had two, but their teeth hadn't caught up yet because teeth, we still have wisdom teeth, right? Like teeth evolve yeah. slower. They had too many teeth. So they had crooked teeth. They basically would have needed braces. They were antisocial. They were antisexual. They didn't want to even reproduce. All these problems we're seeing across basically our children and, you know, in the developing world, he recreated within three generations of, of That's crazy. Yeah. So it comes back to this argument too. If we understand that food is like our societies are changing and are faster than our food really should have because our bodies haven't caught up to all of the technology around us. Uh-huh. So epigenetics is the study of genetics within three generations that you can control your genetic expression through the behavior. So he advocates that like, you know, if women, if, you, if you're basically, if women eat a more wild diet, their kids won't need braces. What? No what? And if you, I look at, you know, if you look at old pictures and stuff, like if you think about it, like, yeah, why were, why are there all these kids getting braces these days? Why are these yeah, other Yeah, I had braces for yeah. like four years. Yeah, so it, it goes back to that, too. If you look at, like, the problems we're having in highly industrial societies like Japan about antisocial behavior and, like, the internet and stuff, and, like, you know, unfortunately, like, these are problems that are expressed when these cats were going through development that he believes comes from diet. So, like, a lot of, unfortunately, he even points, he even begins to extrapolate that a lot of the behavior we see with, uh, you know, mass shootings by teenagers and stuff, like, this kind of violent behavior actually comes from our diet problems. And That's crazy. And the food their parents have been eating and the foods that, you know, these kids are all chugging Mountain Dews yeah. and Cheetos and stuff and processed food. And their bodies, are, they're just not being regulated. And he talks about the stuff that people don't really... Uh, it comes from a different approach. And it's really fascinating. How does it compare to the generations of, like, mixed... Um, mixing the more processed with more meats and natural foods versus all oh, of that. So it basically was just like, it was just a sliding scale of the cats who were still eating animals really? were still cats and the other ones were, you know, had some problems but not as much, but... Interesting. Yeah, so I try, based off of that, is I try to eat like uh, what they ate, what my, what my ancestors ate in the 1700s as much as I can. Um... And my, my parents, actually, we grew a lot of our own food. We had chickens. Uh-huh. and uh, So you had farm-raised eggs? Yeah. We had chickens because in fifth grade, we had these projects at uh, school where we would incubate eggs. Did you ever do that? Uh, no. I've okay. seen it, like, yeah. demonstrated, but we never did it in school. We did it, we did it with butterflies. Oh. We had caterpillars and yeah, yeah. Uh, allowed them to metamorph into butterflies. Yeah, yeah. The University of Illinois College of Agriculture would donate random eggs to the elementary school and we would take them and incubate them and then these chickens would hatch and they'd be like dozens, like two dozen different types of chickens, like all random chickens. So we got a bunch when I was in fifth grade and then my sister was two years behind me and we got more. They just gave them to the students? Well, because no one else wanted these chickens because the other kids who farmed, they're like, we have enough chickens. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. So we had these chickens and um, we would... We had too many eggs. We didn't know what to do with them. And they were all random. Like, some chickens had, like, huge pompadours in their heads and mm-hmm. stuff. And they were, like, half roosters, half hens. And by the end, like, I think, like, five years later, we just had one rooster. And, because he'd killed off the other ones. Really? And he was, like... Isn't that, is that how most farms, like, end up? Well, I think so. I think there could only be one, based on how things were going. Like, and, uh, the rooster yeah. is basically Highlander. Yeah, yeah. So this rooster was huge and nasty and the meanest. And by the time he was the only one, he got pretty 
cocky for lack oh, of a better word. boy. <laughs> so he made it like really hard for us to go and get the eggs. And um, my dad finally had it one day after like, you know, so he was just like, you know, Brian, this weekend when your friends come over, you guys can just do what you want with this rooster. And so my friends and I were How like, we're that in point? eighth grade. And okay. we were like, oh, oh hell, hell yeah. yeah. We're going to be the shit out of this guy. So, of course, we let the rooster out and we were all too scared of it. To like, <laughs> oh, this was like at the peak of jackass. So we filmed the whole thing. Oh, no. So we let the so rooster funny. out. And, Does like, that still exist? I don't know if it still exists. Oh, man. But we like let the, the rooster was like chasing us around and we were so like terrified. And uh, God, that's so funny. the rooster lasted uh, like around the chicken coop for like two weeks before like some coyote with enough balls picked yes, it up. Yes. That's so funny. And my dad was like hoping we would have like gone it would have gone away sooner but yeah. anyway so we always had chickens my dad always grew potatoes and like a lot of our greens you know we have a my dad had a bunch of apple and pear trees my sister used to make fruit roll ups with the pears. And really? Stuff. Yeah they were really good. Yum. And then, I love fruit layers. Yeah. And uh you know so we always had Do they still have all that stuff? Oh, Do your yeah. parents still like upkeep all that? Yeah. That's cool. It is cool. That's really cool. Um, yeah, so I try to eat basically like foods that were around, you know, in the, the 1700s in the proportion. So, um, yeah, so going back on kind of eating how and, you know, your ancestors would eat. and Do you feel like you eat more than what they would eat? Because I know you eat a decent amount. Based on what the stories I've heard about my family, I don't think so, but uh, we'll see. So the, so the other thing I would say about um, uh, if you if you go eating that with that mindset, you kind of also make things last longer. So mm-hmm. another thing that uh, oh with proportion. Right. So allow me, so another problem we're having about we're not just eating like too much meat too often, right? We're eating like a, a very specific type of meat. Like I said, we've only domesticated six animals. We uh-huh. only eat these six animals that are basically freak lab creatures that live in their own filth, <laughs> who don't see sunlight, who yeah. who like who yeah. exist for only our who live in a factory that and we they're produce fed through tubes. And... Yeah, yeah, it's pretty gross. Yeah, um, and they're not even they have no relationship at all to their wild ancestors, the ones we used to eat when we were actually growing as as, as a species ourselves. So. If are we, cows the only animal? Sorry to interrupt. Are cows the only animal of those six that don't have um, wild like relatives? I think so. Yeah, it would seem because I was kind of like scanning through it. Yeah, it seems like it. So is that one of the reasons that makes red meat such so unhealthy? Well, I would. So going actually, red meat I don't believe is so unhealthy. Okay. But I will get back to that. In a, I think okay. in a second. So. Um, well, basically, we live in a. Unpre- I jumped to see in your yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we live in a world that's unprecedented. No, like no matter how poor you are, you have unlimited access to a certain type of animal protein, which uh-huh. is muscle meat, right? Yeah, comes from the muscle. Like you could go to McDonald's oh. and get ninety nine percent of ninety nine cents and get you know animal like a McDonald's hamburger patty that comes from the muscle of the cow. Different okay. parts of the body, but like muscle. But all muscle. Uh, which is which is absurd because that's not how we used to eat. We used to like. No, it wasn't just the Native Americans who it. used the whole animal, sure. right? Mm-hmm. So uh, there are tons of ways to do this. Uh, you know, like if you buy a whole chicken, mm-hmm. uh, like a whole organic chicken. Oh, yeah. I remember you talking about this in oh, Seattle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You buy a whole chicken and just put yeah. all the parts of it. And uh, you, then you can boil it down into a bone broth and you can sip that. You know, bones, bone broth is really important. It's like, 
like the problem with chicken is that we always are like, yeah, just eat chicken breasts. We eat so many chicken breasts in this country that we've bred chickens to be these so they massive, have big, big, yeah, yeah. big breasted animal creatures. That, <laughs> when in fact, like the, I believe the reason that the, the meat is dark is because it has more oxygen in it. So it oh. actually, you know, oxidizes better in our body and stuff. So it doesn't actually make sense. And, you know, if you get a whole chicken, you'll be ended up picking off parts that you wouldn't get mm-hmm. elsewhere like sure. from a chicken so that's one really helpful way um so the reason i would say is that like the bigger the animal the worse it is to farm it so a cow sh- the, like in general so a conventionally raised cow the reason that red meat is bad is because that cow has gotten so big not because it's gained weight it's gained inflammation and there's actually a huge difference so cows were never supposed to eat corn uh in the first oh, place. Oh yeah, they talk about this in maybe in Food Inc. Yeah, not to mention the corn that we've now modified Into to be super sweet. Totally, yeah, away so from. So we put these cows in, in conditions where they don't get any sunshine, which is vitamin D, which is a very important uh, element for all of humans. Uh-huh. Um, it's one of the one I don't like. I think I believe in like two, maybe three supplements, and I believe in vitamin D for people who live in Chicago. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, what are the other supplements? Um, fish oil, possibly. Yeah. If you're not eating enough fish, wild fish oil. Uh, I've heard that a lot. We don't need you don't need as much of it as people. We need, if you're eating wild fish and you're not eating a bad diet in the first place, you don't then need you that much need of it. it. But the wild fish oil actually, like, if you think about it as an oil, actually can pull stuff out of your body and take it with you, and really helps you function better. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. If you've had an injury to your one of your bones, glucosamine is not a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. And then um, I still um, protein's a whole other. Uh, a whole yeah. other conversation but there when i was a vegan there's the sun warrior rice protein that's really good mm-hmm. that i will use occasionally just to bounce things off but mm-hmm. so the larger the animal the worse it is that to be conventionally farmed so these cows actually are gaining weight from inflammation mm-hmm. which means that the weight they're putting on is actually swelling around their joints because they're eating food that they shouldn't be eating yeah and they're standing in their own filth and they're not getting sunshine oh, jesus so we're actually eating that uh and that's what that red meat actually is is and so that Again, Dean Ornish was pointing at the saturated fat, and he's like, oh, this is awful. But he wasn't controlling for wild sources of animal protein versus farm sources. Oh, okay. okay. So if you can get any sort of grass-fed beef, it's a huge difference. It's way different. In fact, different. that saturated fat is wonderful, and the fat actually is, is really way important. good for you. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the guy who founded the paleo diet, Lauren Cordain, he worked at Colorado State. He didn't make a cent off of this. Uh, really? Yeah, he's so... He actually is... I heard him in an interview, and he went camping with his sons every summer and they would go to this really crummy lodge or whatever. And he'd uh-huh. be like, don't worry kids, when my book takes off, we're going to go to the best place in the world. Oh, no. And he'd say it every summer and he still says it, <laughs> even though everyone's heard of him. Oh my gosh. Um, so his uh, protege... Is it just because people, because the ideas have been able to permeate without yeah. actual like monetary exchanges? Yeah. Interesting. So, so his, his protege, Rob Wolf, wrote The Paleo Solution. Rob Wolf owns... Uh, Sacramento CrossFit or San Jose CrossFit okay. and he spread it through the CrossFit vines and Rob Wolf's a very sane person there's this Paleo FX conference which I actually listened to he is sane? he's very sane okay. he's very measured what about Lauren Cordain? very sane very measured not all these Paleo people are so right. Paleo well I would say Lauren Cordain's pretty sane except he believes that we shouldn't be eating any food that you can like pre-fire right and it's like dude just come on you're, that's past Amish. That's ridiculous. That's like yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so people like Dean Ornish, and then when they were looking at all these saturated fat problems, they weren't controlling for the source of protein. So a grass-fed source of beef is actually really great for you. Uh-huh. Um, 
I and s- probably tastes better. Oh, it tastes world difference. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, if, if it's grain finished, that's actually even worse than just some animal that's been grain fed its whole life. So really? A lot of the foods at Whole Foods, a lot of the beef is grain finished. Grass fed, but grain finished. What that means is the cow was put on grass whole life. Last six months sent to the same feedlot. Forced to eat candy or corn or something else. Deprived and pumped through antibiotics to barely keep it alive so it could gain weight around its joints to gain inflammation. And then killed, and then we eat it. So the animal actually was subjected to more stress towards the end of its life. Because it had a different... Because yeah. that... Because it knew a different life before that? Or yeah. because of the level of stress in that last portion? Um, well, all... Like, how would that compare to um, non-grass-fed beef? Like, its entire life would be like that, basically, right. right? Yeah, its entire life, but it would go through a concentrated feeding push towards the end mm-hmm. like the other like it would be sent to the same feedlot with all the okay. other grass-fed cows however a cow that had been fed grain its whole life and corn would have developed scar tissue that could have helped prevent some of the inflammation that it was wow. going to pack on so they actually if you're a farmer you act, like if these people actually love getting a grass-fed cow because it's oh that cow is like we'll make that cow swell up so good you know what i mean oh yeah so it's it's actually not oh a good idea. wow so in fact part of one of these like um the holistic medicine and stuff that I started getting into after college, and again, like through this Jason Frugia guy, no, no doubt is like, is the idea that stress in equals stressed out. That if you're eating stressed foods, you're going to end up being more stressed. And it's not just like a like a new age kind of like uh-huh. I can feel the cow's pain in my body, no, but it actually it's chemically, biologically, and chemically. biologically, sure. So go to the Jewel or go to wherever and look if they have wild salmon next to farm raised salmon and compare the colors. Uh, oh! They even pumps the farm-raised salmon with orange food dye, and it still is a nasty-looking color compared to the red wild salmon. Yeah. Go look at any sort of grass-fed beef and hold it up to to any sort of conventional beef. You'll see a difference. That should tell you enough that this food is chemically fun on a chemical level, fundamentally different, and not what we're meant to be eating. Huh? And this should be horrifying because. It is horrifying, and that's the reason every single sci-fi movie—not even Soylent Green, but Snowpiercer—put something in there about we're yeah. eating bugs or we're eating people because that gets to us. And it, food is a very important issue to all of us, and it matters to everyone. And my family found out when I was vegan; they took it personally. Everyone takes it personally for some reason because yeah. you think you're being defensive about your own choices. But on a fundamental level, I believe that we all know that there is a hidden cost for all the cheap food that we pay for. Yeah, sure. And we know that that bill is going to come due sooner or later. And if it's not just on a humane level of, I don't know if I want to live in a world that, that tortures cows that so we can live off of them. Uh-huh. Cows, in the very sense, you know, it is murder in a lot of ways, what we do to eat animals. And it's inevitable. We are omnivores, but it is murder. And to treat it like it's not, and to treat it with, like, the callous science, you know, scientific approach, I think has taken us away from um, what we were meant to, how we were meant to experience food. Huh. And it... It goes back to, like, my grandmother grew up in Kentucky, and she, all she wanted to do was get out of Kentucky and get to a suburb, because she grew up in a house where she, you know, she laid her head to rest 20 feet away from where they killed a pig. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, she got it. She wanted to be in a supermarket where yeah. she could just pick out foods that were already killed sure. and put it in a kitchen and cook it. And she and could maybe save some bacon grease and not have to think about it. it. We all wanted to do that as, as the West. We wanted to get away from this. But in getting away from this, we've lost a connection. And we've allowed these things to become so industrialized that they've, you know, we've, they've become so We're inhumane. We're completely removed. We're completely removed. And that is a cost. And that has allowed things to get out of our control. And 
but also, you know, there's, it's not just that you don't want to live in a world that humanely allows animals to be treated this way, but there's also a lot of pollution that comes off from, you mm-hmm. know, eating beef. Oh yeah. Jeez. And, yeah. Yeah. And that's the other thing that, that's the biggest problem with the paleo community. And the, my biggest problem with the vegans I've kind of addressed is they eat a lot of processed food and that's, you know, they not think that's okay. Not necessarily healthier. My biggest problem with the paleo people is they had a paleo conference this summer and they had like 30 some hours of lectures and I listened to all of them and not one person mentioned the environmental impacts of eating animals. Interesting. And to I'm act like, surprised. Yeah, to act like that's not the case. And all these paleo blogs that have like recipes, they're like, yeah, wrap bacon on your hamburger and then do it again at lunch and dinner. It's like, no, there's a cost to producing animals to kill them. Like, yeah. they're not just the methane that they produce in the feedlots that produce our air. But, like, you should be trying to not, you should you should be making it last longer and trying to kill as few things as possible on a certain uh-huh. level. And to act so bra- brazenly callous about it is not how I think we should be shepherding the earth uh-huh. and shepherding the creatures that we've domesticated and that are under our care. I don't think that's the best way to, to conduct agriculture. So I think, uh, like I said, wild food is always, is always fundamentally different and fundamentally better. So, sure. um, bison is one of the best foods to eat cause that's never been domesticated. Interesting. Yeah. And it's making a comeback. A lot um, of places sell bison burgers. And oh stuff, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, DMK or DMK, yeah, yeah. Well, bully. Yeah, yeah. DMK has a bison burger. They have a bison burger improv form too, I think. Oh yeah, I'm sure they do. It's two dollars extra. <laughs> yeah, you have to add two dollars to watch yeah, them yeah. do bison improv. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, oh bully. Uh, so, so you know, a bison would always be preferable to uh, any sort of grass-fed cow because even a grass-fed cow is. You know, almost 500 years removed. It's 400 still, years removed. Oh, because yeah. you're saying 1600s. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Go and check out like um, organic cage free eggs and also get a, some eggs from 7 Eleven and compare how yellow the, sure the cheap eggs are and how different. orange and red an organic egg is. It's fundamentally. Uh, different. Internally or externally or both? Uh, the actual yolk, I mean. Yeah, that's what I thought. Orange uh, and red? Interesting. Yeah, they're just different. That should look that's because the, like a healthier. Right. The chicken, the. Came that laid the egg that went to Seven Eleven has been living in a little crate locker its whole life. It hasn't gotten any vitamin D. It's living in its own filth, and it's creating something that we shouldn't really be digesting. But we can because human beings are hard to kill. We'll, yeah. we'll, drink, we'll drink Slurpees and we'll smoke cigars all day, and yeah. um, we can get away with it. And and so you know, turkey is also a very important animal because it's still wild, and oh. um, it, it's good to it's easy to digest. Fish would be the best thing to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in general, because there's so much wild fish, farm-raised fish um, is is uh, on the spectrum. Like if you're at a restaurant and they have foods that uh, like they have, they don't have anything organic or wild. Yeah, I was gonna ask how the smaller this affects the, how you eat at restaurants too. Yeah, yeah. Um, farm-raised fish is better than anything else that's been raised on a farm without organic. Right? Okay. But it's still not as good as wild fish. Sure. Grass-fed... Uh, but, uh, in, like, it's the lesser of Right, it's evils. the lesser yeah. of the evils. Um, yeah, so... I can usually find something if it's not, like, fish-related. Um, uh, you know, um, then you would move up to, like, okay... Do you try to always get something that has a protein involved, too, or...? Yeah, so that's the other thing, is the paleo community, like, they're really into protein, and... Research shows even in these people, and the paleo and the CrossFit communities are so interwebbed, and I have problems with both of them so much from both perspectives. Because you don't, 
ascribe to CrossFit oh, either? No, that's, no, 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 that's another <laughs> podcast probably. But, oh, yeah. yeah? Do you have, uh, I know you do a lot of like weight training and things like yeah, that. I lift, bro. But, <laughs> you uh, lift, bro. Yeah. But you don't have a specific um, like corner of that that you ascribe to? Um, I strength training and you know Olympic Olympic lifting is okay. usually my faves. Cool. But um, Olympic is my faves. But um, anyway, like uh, I know that is a little off track, but I think so it's also this actually goes back to the point of how. Uh, so this is very actually on track, I would say, because people ask, "How can you afford to do this?" Well, I'm trying to get stronger, just as a hobby and a personal issues I have. I don't know. I like. I lift, bro. Anyway, <laughs> to get stronger, you really only need 1.5 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. I maybe, if you convert your pounds to for, body weight. For how, for a day? Yeah, for a day. So that's like, I need like 120 grams, if that, of protein. Okay. Which isn't really hard to get. So you don't really need to be eating as many animals as possible, because everything has protein in it, basically. Yeah. Um, so... Just different types. Yeah, so you don't need to be going as hard as a lot of these paleo people push that. And okay. that comes from the CrossFit influence, I believe. And Interesting. And that's ignorant. Um, because at a certain point, extra protein gets <laughs> processed as sugar, and it actually has the deleterious effects right. of, of creating an anabolic state for your body that actually is in which you're building and striving rather than just surviving. So Interesting. doing too much can be bad. If you're not trying to, If you're not trying to get stronger, like just one gram per kilogram of body weight a day is fine mm -hmm. and you can in fact like whittle it down and you know figure out your range exactly but you don't need to be eating as many animals as as you think we do and yeah. the other problem too is that paleo people always push they're always like yeah the more of us want to eat grass-fed beef then the price is going to come down you know uh... and it's like they make that supply and demand argument that they don't totally understand but that's not like a great way of looking at it because it's it should be a more appreciative understanding of like, oh yeah, an animal died for this. Like, yeah. think about it, and yeah. um, that's actually not even the best animal that we could be eating. And it's just gonna take so long, yeah, to have any effect on any of that. Right. So long, and so many people. So like, he's for eating healthier, or for for the cost control is like stretching things out with types of broth, and you know, using a freezer. Things go on sale. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, after Thanksgiving. Organic turkeys are going to be on sale. I'll That's probably so have a funny. couple in my fri freezer, you know, like load up on them. Um, That's great. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there's value to be gained from that. Um, I, fish, the way fish works is kind of tricky. We actually just, in October, it's now going to be harder in the winter for a wild fish to make its way through Chicago for various reasons. Interesting. But when I, you know, um, in the summer, whenever you can get wild fish, it's like the best. You know, Trader Joe's sells like cans of wild salmon for two dollars and fifty cents, really? which is awesome. Um, yeah, I you know I love salmon too. Yeah, like it's the I best. don't think I eat enough fish in general. Yeah, and fish is one of those things that if, if, that's where the economics could tilt towards better like fishing quotas if and regulation. Start buying, and it could also help police the pollution in the ocean if people uh -huh. cared more about it and stuff. And it's really, you know, every pretty much every culture's had some sort of fish in it. And it's been important. Yeah. And yeah, and so um, those are ways to you know, um, the paleo people also are very um, against uh, grains, which I get to a certain extent. So if you look at a grocery store and you see a a thing of bread mm -hmm. there's 500 ingredients in it mm -hmm. and uh i 
Do you remember? Do you ever watch that Jack Lelaine guy? He like, he has like a, he wore like tight pants and like a sh bowling type shirt, and he was like old, and he would do all these like push-ups on chairs and stuff. Oh yeah, it sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah. Well, he Lelaine. Yeah, he would yeah. always say like, if man made it, don't eat it. Uh, and most of the things in bread are come from a chemical lab because. Yeah. Like, people like my grandmother, when they moved from the farms after World War II to these suburbs and shopped in these supermarkets where they put all the different, you know, the deli and the produce stand all under one roof, they had all this extra shelf space, and they didn't know how to fill the space, right? Brad, mm -hmm. Brad Pilon talks a lot about this. He's a Canadian nutritionist who actually used to work for supplement companies selling protein powders to people, and he did the math and realized, like, whoa, we don't need to eat as much protein as we say we need to. Uh-huh. Um, he's gone the other way. He does a lot of work on intermittent fasting as well. He's a really interesting dude. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, like juice fasts and stuff like no, that? No, like, as in, like, going 24 hours without eating anything. Oh. Or only eating within eight hours period of a day and uh -huh. stuff. Um, which I, uh, I usually subscribe to. Um, mm -hmm. So, anyway, he was saying, like, in the 50s, his research and other research shows, and because of his experience in the nutrition industry, is basically we create... Uh, demand to sell these foods, right? Oh, sure, sure, so sure. So sure, sure. they created a demand for protein powders and yeah. for all these other powders stuff. And they created a demand for bread, uh, the bread that we know today, for like, like sandwiches and toast and things that could be chemically altered to stick around on shelves long enough oh. so they could keep shelves stocked in supermarkets. Yeah. But those aren't things that we necessarily should be eating. Interesting. Including breakfast cereals, right? Like Yeah, I've, I've heard of that a lot about yeah. breakfast cereals. I try not to eat cereal that yeah. much anymore. Breakfast cereal was, a, like, breakfast in itself was a construct garbage. that was invented, and it's garbage. And they, they vitamin fortify things, but that's even more like... That is, that and... Um, like actual dairy milk are two things. Um, not to like toot my own horn, oh, sure. but to like chime in on things that I have taken into account in my own diet. Yeah. I really try not to eat like uh, actual cow milk. Yeah, and uh, I try not to eat cereal because I because it, it like. I you know like you're saying it's yeah. all just like a construct and like a shelf filler and it's it's garbage food oh yeah so <laughs> but i eat plenty of other garbage sure, foods sure. so and philosophically the i think the paleo argument is like for simplicity if man made it don't eat it jack lane wasn't part of the camp but so i don't understand why they are against rice necessarily because it goes back to the lord cordain's argument that we should be eating pre-agriculture pre-fire and just eating what we can hunt and gather mm -hmm. uh, however like we know that everyone pretty much can digest rice really well mm -hmm. and carbohydrates are actually pretty decent source of energy not as great as fat not as great as protein but mm -hmm. like for someone who trains or has you know for a marathon or whatever mm -hmm. uh, or even if you're just an improviser who's got a pretty active lifestyle like yeah dude um <laughs> for sure like or ride your bikes like you know yeah. rice is not bad potatoes sweet potatoes those are one ingredient foods that are sources of starchy cool. carbs like i think that's great bread and not is, necessarily something that's been like fucked up with like, right genetically yeah the problem with bread and the problem with gluten is it's not really the wheat. I'm even glad though, we came back to gluten, right, too. Even though wheat has been has been agriculturally modified the way corn and soy have to mm -hmm. become sweeter and to become heartier um, and bred away from its true, like, biblical sense uh -huh. of the breadbasket of the world uh, <laughs> type sense, like, uh, what's put into the bread is actually what's the bad problem. It's like the man-made ingredients that, you know, you should be trying to avoid. Yeah. I don't do wheat or gluten... Um, just because there's no real source of like straight up wheat, you know, so oh, I don't do it. And it's just easier. Interesting. Um, 
That being said, like people who do these like gluten-free pizzas or whatever, there's so much man-made crap in those. Like just yeah. get away from them. Yeah. Um, and you know, and on how do you feel about the like gluten like thing in general? Because there's, I feel like there's been so many studies in the last like few years. Well, I guess even in just the last year or so, that's like. Um, there's no such thing as gluten tolerance outside of having celiac disease right. and like then you know there's all these other people who are saying like but when I stopped eating it yeah. I felt better how do you explain that well you probably would because you probably made other changes stopped in your eating a lot well. of things yeah but I would say like if your family has a problem digesting gluten then you shouldn't be trying to ingest gluten Interesting. however uh, you should also be keeping it in moderation like uh, flour and stuff. If you if you wanted to eat bread, you should only be baking your own bread. Like if you put that kind of effort into it, control what goes into it. And Do you bake your own bread? No, I don't. I don't. I don't have. You know, I don't really eat bread. But um, <laughs> but like just treat it as if like it was harder to come by and not a shelf filler, as you call it. Sure. And that will solve a lot of problems. And keep it simple and keep it to as few ingredients as possible. Interesting. Yeah, and um, a lot about what can be said about dairy, by the way, is said is very true for the beef discussion. So I do consume dairy because it agrees with me but if you have a lactose intolerance in your family mm -hmm. it's going to be a problem but um i typically will there's grass-fed milk organic milk organic yeah. grass-fed milk that's non-homogenized you know ideally non-pasteurized but it's kind of tough to get in the state of illinois um oh yeah yeah there's yeah. a lot of legality involved there isn't there yeah and it's like all this these regulations that should probably be would be better applied towards Mountain Dew or Five Hour Energy, or applied <laughs> right. to um, raw dairy, which is not necessarily interesting. A problem. Aren't there places where you can get raw yogurt, but it's like mm -hmm. it's like hush hush? <laughs> yeah, there are a few ways to get it. Um, I, and I, I and I still eat plenty of other dairy. I just don't like drink milk. Yeah. I what's I like almond milk and drink sure. that and put it in coffee and things like that. Um, but I don't really know very much about it. I just consume it. Sure. Like a dum-dum. Um, <laughs> I would say like, uh, they tend to add like a lot of sugar and oh, other yeah. stuff and you should just kind of have to keep it in mind. Um, I don't typically drink it and, uh, that's the big reason why is cause it's not a very like simple, like that makes sense. ingredient and it's, um, it doesn't seem like it would be, <laughs> it doesn't seem like it exists kind of. Right. But, uh, right. Yeah, so the putting stuff in is is usually like the least treated f the food could be is is better, hmm. and the older you can make it, the wilder the food actually is, the mm -hmm. the better it is mm -hmm. across the board. So it's it's interesting. I do think things are slowly changing, um, uh, but like the gluten free craze, like we've kind of swung back the other way. We've over, yeah. overcorrected because it's like here you can still eat all your glutinous foods, but you don't have to have wheat in them. Right. And it's like, well, no, they still have sugar. They still have all these other problems. In right. Them. And like, so it's not actually sugar's like the worst of all of these foods we've talked about. Um, it's just like not supernatural, and you know we're not really digesting it well. And, uh -huh. um, yeah, it's it's slowly we're we're not totally correcting towards the like. Uh, like there's a, I saw something at Whole Foods that was like, Hey, look, this is a paleo friendly bacon or whatever. And instead of using sugar, they use like five times as much honey. And it's oh. like, that's going to be an insulin spike worse than sugar. Like it's huh. just, just don't put any sweeteners in because it. Because of the amount that's in it. Yeah. Like 
just keep it simple and hopefully we can get back to that place you know of simpler and and like csas if there are a few in chicago you can look up there are very easy ways to get a bunch of produce and oh yeah i've thought about doing that um i've thought about doing that before and i've never looked into it because um, yeah. I was just afraid that I wouldn't be able to like use everything that you get. Yeah, and uh, if Oops. if you can if you can wash a food, it's not the worst thing in the world if you buy it. It's not organic. Ideally, like we would be putting money as much money as we can towards uh, foods that put the least amount of pesticides into the air. Yeah, into the ground. sure. Like there's this book um, I read uh, called Avoiding. No, uh, it's called. Uh, 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 Democracy Inc., I think. It was Theta Scotchpole. She's a political sociologist. But she... Um, Democracy Incorporated, I think. Um, but she was talking about how after 9-11, the big message from the government was not like, uh, um, you know, like hug your neighbor or like, you know, sing Kumbaya. But it was like, hey, go out there and buy stocks and buy foods so our stock market doesn't crash. Like, we've yeah. begun to identify... Political participation at, with dollars, like we've yeah. we've equated them, and yeah. in a lot of ways it's kind of it's sad, but in this way it's kind of efficient, and it does slowly like you know we have seen a difference in you know people understanding like what foods you actually need to put in, and the problems with pesticides is not just that we're ingesting them, and the problems with those chemicals being in our body or in that we're like eating them or breathing them in, it's what they're doing to the food chain. Yeah, and the food chain is this part of the fits into this whole wild perspective and mm -hmm. understanding where we fit in it that is very important. And a lot of our agriculture is not really supporting the food chain and the way we're killing animals and stuff. And there's this, uh, what's his, John something. He just finished at, um, I just heard his, uh, I wish I remembered his name. I don't want to say Eastman, but maybe it is Eastman. But he has this whole thesis, and I've told a few people about it, so maybe I've told you about it. But the reason he believes that monotheism spread but from the Hebrews and the pre-Abrahamic Zoroastrians mm -hmm. is because those cultures understood the food chain and understood their place in it. And so from the outside... Oh, I think you might yeah, have, but yeah. go on. So from the outside, other tribes looked at these two groups and they thought, oh, they must be favored by a god because they are not getting the same diseases we're getting and oh, the same sicknesses. Oh, but it was more just about the... Right. So Hebrews understood, oh, we should bury our dead away from our water supply, which it sounds... I'm saying it in a way that makes it sound like as obvious as it is to yeah. us. Yeah. Zoroastrians, pre Zoroastrians. Yeah, but there's no reason right. that right. we could have... There's no reason people would think that before we knew it was something sure. that's understood. Yeah. Pre-Abrahamic Zoroastrians did the opposite, but it was equally effective, where they put their dead up on a mountain for vultures to eat them, away from like their stuff. Both groups understood what animals we could eat, um, you know, types of birds, and what animals we shouldn't be eating, types of bugs and uh, certain bugs, and at the time, uh, pigs, because of trichinosis and other oh. things we didn't totally understand how to prepare. Um, yeah, so from the outside, it looked as if these groups were like, oh, they are favored by God. And, you know, you could also say maybe they were favored by God, but <laughs> I understood it. But, you know, like, <laughs> but the truth is, is that uh, not respect... Uh, yeah, I think I was telling Julia Weiss about this in Seattle, actually. So oh, maybe, cool. Yeah, so I think that... If we, again, take the wild perspective... You know she talked about food on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. I yeah. think that's... How it got started. Yeah, I think a little bit. Fine. Um, but anyway, the food chain is something, the food web, if you will. Uh-huh. And not understanding it is a big problem <laughs> for what we've done. Yeah, and how that... 
it, that's the thing is like in the course of this conversation, you we've talked about how like the food, the effects of the way that we produce food has affected yeah. the food chain, the yeah. way that it's affected the economy, the way that it's affected yeah. the oil industry, the way that it's affected oh, yeah. supermarkets, the way that it's affected sci-fi movies, sci-fi movies. Yeah, like it's just food is such an important part of our culture and society. Sure, but at the same time, it's like it's like almost overwhelming to think about how much of that our and our lives is tied to all of this yeah i think um and speaking of uh or did you have any other like thoughts that you wanted to finish i have one last question that i'll ask um but i don't want to do it unless you think that you because i feel like this has been amazing and incredibly informative and uh i've really enjoyed it um but i want to make sure that there's nothing else that you can like um think of that you would want to mention uh i'll mention something is that i remembered what i forgot at the top of the show it was that (laughs) get ready no it wasn't that important but um you were talking about um like bob odenkirk and being in a writer's room and being able to make other people in comedy laugh I have heard um, someone who I've heard said about someone who like auditioned for Second City uh, that they were given the note that like they were too much of a comedian's performer and not enough of a broad audience performer to be able to be hired by Second City. And since then, that person has been hired by Second City. But it was such an interesting, like, mm. note to receive. And it totally ties into what we were talking about um, an hour and a half ago. And not it doesn't tie into what we were talking about now. But I figured it was worth That's mentioning. That's great. Um, I meant to mention that I'm, I don't, uh, that uh, none of my... I'm not that good at lifting, so don't get the. Oh. <laughs> okay. All right, thanks. Well, we'll throw that out there thanks. as a disclaimer. Uh, cool. So, how after all of this, um, and I think it's really interesting that in the first uh, few minutes we talked a lot about like creativity and about um, comedy and mm-hmm. the way that tastes are uh, socialized and everything, um, because I think this kind of brings it full circle as a result. How do you feel like your love of and knowledge of um, and passion for nutrition influences you, your life creatively and in general? Great. I think it's totally uh, influences everything I do. <laughs> Just because uh, food influences everything, like you said. But I was in rehearsal this summer with two people who didn't have day jobs and it was getting to like two or three in the morning. Wow. And like we were really into the show, but they were like lying on the floor and like I was still like, Let's do it. Okay. And of course, like, you know, we've talked about how we both love to sleep and like I, I was do. getting grumpy, but like, like I had the energy and reserve to get things done. Sure. And so much of it feeds into like, it just helps me keep getting back up after every like getting knocked down that is inevitable, you know? Um, They're never going to keep you down. Well, you know, <laughs> but I mean, if you look at other like... I can totally see that about you because I feel like you make so many opportunities for yourself and you work really, really hard and I feel like... uh what you're saying, uh, at least, uh, in my impression is that like part of that is that your body has to be like a 
a machine yeah. for you to be able to do that. I think I'm not look, necessarily saying like looking for an edge over other like yeah. people specifically, but I do think that if you look at athletes and look at how they've all made changes, like LeBron made a very similar paleo type change this summer, and like interesting, other athletes in general will find ways of of looking at how to get the most out of their experiences and stuff. And another thing I think is that you really will need to eat less food if you eat better food, and that kind of balances out the huh. cost thing. But eating less and like really enjoying it. And, um, I didn't really talk about fasting, but fasting is a big part of it too. And intermediate fasting. Is that what you said? Intermittent fasting. Intermittent. Yeah. So basically I only eat within an eight hour period of a day. Sometimes I basically, I just eat one meal a day or two meals a day, like a small one and a big one, but having the like mental focus. So I'm like early and like, do you usually like breakfast and dinner? Would you say? No, I usually would, if I, it's a work day, I'll have like a small meal around like two o'clock and then I'll go to work, I'll go train and then I'll have a bigger meal and then go back out for rehearsal. Interesting. And if it's a weekend, ideally. Do you eat anything when you wake up? No. Wow. Yeah, see, um, and, uh, I will, if it's an, ideally if I don't have to work or I don't have to run around too much, I'll just do one meal and just do it all. Wow. And, uh. Yeah, I just, uh, the elation about, like, when you actually, you taste the food better, it tastes better, it, uh, like, the clarity you have when you're hungry and, you know, like, moving and lighter and stuff, it's like, the way it helps digestion, the way it helps, clear, you know, clear everything out, mm-hmm. I, I believe, and it's like an ancient practice, it's been going on for thousands and thousands of years. Mm-hmm. There's a guy in India who's learned how to only uh, drink water and process vitamin, he can photosynthesize, and he's figured, he's figured it out because they think, they've, they've taken him into labs, they think it's because he's able to, like, stare at the sun and he's burned some things out in his eyes and ruined his eyesight in a lot of ways but parts of his eyes have now photosynthesized sunlight into energy that's crazy yeah i know um i don't do that that's like mind-blowing to me i know do you feel like the um a lot of the like uh what's the word i'm looking for not responsibilities but um, um disciplines and things like that that you apply to your life nutritiously also apply to your life in other ways yeah, I think in general, like, I think happy people produce better work. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's Jimmy Fallon's secret. Like, I think yeah. that dude just is happy. I totally agree with you and, like, yeah. You yeah. can totally see that where Jimmy Fallon is concerned specifically as well. And I think, but I think like anything, a little, a few constructs and a few things help creativity grow. And, like, mm-hmm. having discipline and, like, no, and not having to worry about what I'm eating and if I'm fueling my body right and blah, blah, blah. Like, cool. So in turn, it kind of, it almost takes out a distraction as opposed to, um, adding more that you have to think about. Yeah. Um, in in terms of, uh, happy people producing good things. Um, I saw a, an excerpt from Sarah Silverman's book, Bedwetter, which Mm -hmm. I own, but haven't read, um, uh, about how she thinks that a lot of people in comedy or even just like creative types in general purposefully like choose to remain unhappy because they claim that that's when they produce most of their material and they like keep themselves from experiencing more happiness and like reassuredness just because they think it keeps them a better comedian or performer and she was like y'all this is bullshit like in so many words she was just like please allow yourself to be happy like that it's just such a cruel way to live your own life and it's just not true yeah i think it's very true and there's this sculptor uh i forget his name 
And I know what school he's at, but I only mention the school because it helps Google him when I forget. But sure. He's at Yale. So he's the sculptor, and he has this great quote um, on the other side of it. It's like, yeah, don't be, don't be super ha- like sad if you think that helps you produce work. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like um, having some rules for yourself and having some discipline don't get in the way of producing work either. And oh, his, sure. His, yeah, yeah. His quote is that inspiration is for amateurs. If you don't actually sit down and do the work, it's never going to happen. Huh. And if you just stay in a really happy, blissful place of like, yeah, things are great, you sometimes just have to force yourself to sit down and get stuff on, get stuff done. Huh? Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's where discipline and, and energy and stuff feeds into it. And in addition to making me happier uh, spiritually, I think it also helps, like you know, sit down and get things done. That's awesome. I can totally see that about the way that I've seen you work creatively. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I've really enjoyed working with you creatively. Yeah, we've some we've done some dope ass stuff. Man. I know. I just actually in the episode that I recorded before this that'll go up on Wednesday talked briefly to Cynthia about how much I enjoyed working on owls. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Because it was great. Yeah. I really like that show. Yeah, her and Ryan, they got It's crazy. They got to get married. <laughs> super duper into each other that's good yeah it's great I like them a lot (laughs) fingies crossed (laughs) thank you so much for doing this hey thanks for having me of course I've really been looking forward to it despite my uh, feet dragging on getting you scheduled dude not in the least you're gonna I hope that this gets out there and you get all this backlash from all these nutritionist people who oh that would be amazing I would love that I seriously doubt it'll happen but sure it yeah. would be amazing <laughs> <laughs> not because of you just because of yeah. the, this has no large scope yeah, yeah. <laughs> a bunch of improvisers and friends of mine will listen to it and be like oh man this makes me feel guilty <laughs> and I know that's yeah. not what you're yeah, trying yeah, to no. do I know that's not what you're aimed to do. Uh, I think it's great. I've loved this so much. Thanks, me too. I'll talk about... I love to have an excuse to talk about this stuff. Normally people are like, hey, thanks. Cool. We get the gist. Got it. No, uh, and I think... And you're not the first person to say that about their topic. That they like having an excuse to talk about it when it's actually like... Didn't Sean Kelly say that about X-Men? Yeah, I think you might be right. I think he did, yeah. Yeah. Ah, yeah. I stole it from Sean. <laughs> uh, Marie Maloney said it about the Kennedys. Oh, okay. Um, Aaron Land said it about the ocean. She loves mm. talking about like marine animals and marine life and the ocean in general and feels like it often will, uh, like, people will just be like, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, this was great. Thank yeah, you thanks. so much. Hey, thanks. Brian, I love you and I mean that. Yeah, I love you too. I mean that. <laughs> This has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.